Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir, and I am so excited today. Lenny Akoff, the head coach of Lipscomb University, is uh, my guest, dear, dear friend, and uh, you'll be excited. Sorry we've been on a break uh, a little bit, but we went out in Las Vegas doing our event, and it was spectacular, our VIP event. Uh, tremendous, tremendous uh, response. The coaches that uh, spoke were incredible. Uh, the attendees loved it, and uh, and now we're, you know we have our video sales that are going, and I uh, want to make sure that you folks uh, make sure that we've been away for a while that you know you do can just log on to coachingyoulive.com forward slash twenty twenty one videos to get these uh, fourteen incredible videos only two hundred seventy five dollars for fourteen videos, and if you purchase now you're going to get a player development bundle of some of the best people that we've ever had in that field, which is one of the points of emphasis for every coach at the high school, college, and professional level. So after this quick timeout, we'll be back with Lenny Akoff. Prepare like the pros with the new Fast Draw. Fast Draw is the number one affordable coaching tool used by pro and high school level teams worldwide. With FastDraw, you can save your plays and playbooks digitally, attach video and share with other coaches and your players in seconds. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching content resources through their blog and playbank, which features over 8,000 free plays and drills from their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Don't forget to use promo code CU10, that is CU10, to receive 10% off your next Fast Model purchase. Hey, welcome to another Coaching You podcast with the coach, Brendan Sir, and my dear, dear friend, Lenny Akoff, uh, who is uh, on a walk in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, spending some time with us in a beautiful, beautiful sunlight there. How are you, Len? I'm good, Coach. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to hear your voice. And, and uh, man, we missed you on the sidelines last year, but obviously you just keep pouring into the game and into coaches, and thank you for all you do for us. Well, thanks so much. And, you know, uh, I was I was talking to uh, one of our dear, dear friends the other day. Uh, as I as he likes to, he's dubbed himself now Stan from Orlando, the great Stan Pacavage. <laughs> and and uh, for our listeners that don't know, have never heard Lenny and I talk before about basketball. I was introduced to Lenny when I was with the New York Knicks, I believe I was, and Doc Rivers was with the Boston Celtics. And uh, Stan Pacavage, who's one of the great basketball people in the world, uh, a great player in his own right, said to me, uh, you got to come by and I want you to see this guy coach i said where where are we going i said lake island middle school where my kids went to uh, high school and i said okay and doc rivers is going to come too and i said okay cool so we go there and there you are with was it your son's seventh grade aau team? Yeah, seventh grade aau team it was a juggernaut so it, it was team. yeah and uh, <laughs> one of your best coach teams i've ever seen and, and no so, doubt yeah no doubt. and so there's doc and i and and we're there and uh, and 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 Jeff Turner, who's the coach of Lake Highland, played for me with the Magic. And you know, played at Vandy, and he's there because we're using his facility. And all of a sudden, uh, Stan says, "I want you to see this action," and you proceed to be nice enough to show some actions to Doc and I 
that of things that at the time that you were using and stuff. And frankly, it was stuff that I had never seen offensively. And I had no idea what I was going to see. And then all of a sudden I came away as the ultimate Lenny Akoff believer. And that was the start of our friendship all the way back then. So that was so cool. That was so nice. Thank you for that. And, you know, in that gym, you know, you obviously Stan is, uh, as you talk about it, anybody that doesn't know Stan Fetkavich is less for it. Is, and yeah. not is he only a great basketball guy, but he is a world-class human being. Mm-hmm. And and Jeff Turner was one of my heroes growing up. You know, Jeff played at Vanderbilt, played on the Olympic team. Yes. And uh, what a nice man he is. And, and I actually said we had like – we had eight kids on that team. I think all eight of them played college sports at some level. One of the kids is actually – was a starting safety at Clemson when they won the national championship right. in football for Dabo. And uh, so it, it was fun. And, uh, you know, basketball is a great connector. And, and and the best thing is coaches that we have. And I try to share this whenever I have a chance to talk at clinics or whatever. Is just, man, it, it's all about the relationships and, and the friendships. And, you know, when we spoke yesterday, it's just I just I'm energized when I talk to you. You challenge me. You make me think. Um, but most importantly, you're just my friend mm-hmm. and, uh, and there's something about being in the coaching fraternity that when you would say some things to me about some of the things it's been like dealing with COVID, you, you can't understand it. If you're not a coach, you just can't. And it's just, there's just a like-mindedness to it. And, and when you're with guys that really love the game, that's when it's a lot of fun. You know, when you were at Alabama Huntsville, you know, I got a chance to watch your teams and. And for people, I played at that level of basketball. You played at it. Donnie Jones, a coach of Stetson and Don, Billy Donovan's assistant for years, he played at Pikeville. He was a you know terrific small college player. It's a great level of basketball, and the coaching at that level is incredibly high. The playing at that level is really good, and you had one of the best guards in the country, and uh, you know, and I used to just enjoy watching your teams play. And and I remember you were such an, a great learner that I can I can still see the day that I I was in uh, my home in uh, Windermere, Florida, and we talked. And you were always searching to learn more, as because you have such a great mi- growth mindset. And our friend Stan Van Gundy, I believe, was uh, the year he was let go by the Magic. And so you know we talked and said, "Boy, I'd love to pick his brain." And two days later, you were on a plane down to Orlando, and we set up for you to be with him for the day. And I, and then we finished with Stan from Orlando and myself and you having dinner there, that night, remember, at, at the airport? Yeah, how nice was Stan Van Gundy? And I'm going to tell you what, that day with him, I mean, he just starts going, and it's like you turn on a faucet and just wisdom and knowledge and schematic advantages and thoughts. He he's He's doing stuff side out of bounds, and I'm like, this may be one of the greatest days of my life. Yeah, um, he was so nice, and but goodness gracious, what a basketball mind! And you know, I just have so much respect for him. And but I, I do think all of us, you know, Brendan, as as we go on this journey, it, 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 if you ever think you've arrived, that's when you got a problem. <laughs> and you know, I've learned so much in the last two and a half years being at Lipscomb and coaching mm-hmm. at a different level. And you know, everything doesn't translate. Now, I do think there's a great deal of things that translate level to level, but there's some things that don't. And I've had to learn that. And you know, about the time you think you got it figured out, that's when you're going to get hit right in the mouth. And so, um, I think just guys are nice enough. And, you know, but how many guys have been? 
you know, the NBA coach of the year would take time with a D2 guy, and he was so gracious. He's been nice to me the rest of the way. And, sure. Um, it, but there's just not a lot of those guys out there, and you sure appreciate it when you have the chance to get in their circle. Well, I, I, for our listeners to know, I, I got in, really got a little hot water with uh, your family, especially your wonderful two children, that afterwards I publicly said that that because uh, I respect you so much that you could be an NBA coach and you know and and your kids got really pissed at me <laughs> because they thought, <laughs> they don't want to move. They, they yeah, said they move. this guy's trying to. Think, were, I think we're safe on that. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have to worry about. Well, that. that's the good news about them getting old. You know, older right. is that they you know they they're, they're, now they would be happy for you. But you know, I I think the thing that always fascinated me about you and because you coach great at, on both ends of the court is that you know. I was always really captured by your offensive ideas and stuff like that. Where did all that come about? Well, you know, I was real fortunate. Um, it just by, you know, God has a plan for all of us and, um, you know, the people he brings into your life. I, I coached, uh, it would have been 26 years ago, uh, Jimmy Tillett's son. Jimmy Tillett was the head coach at Samford for many years and went to NCAA, two NCAA tournaments. And, uh, and Jimmy was, it's interesting. He was the first guy that the Princeton guys kind of let inside their room mm. and, and kind of opened their world up to him. And the first year Jimmy got the job at Sanford, he went full bore Princeton offense. Well, at the time I was coaching his son and, and uh, at Barry college in Rome, Georgia, and I was looking at any high school and I would go watch them practice. And I, it was one of the, he Jimmy is one of the brightest basketball minds on earth and his ability to teach that. So I said, we can do that. And I had the, the right kind of ta- right kind of still set and mentality of our kids. And we started doing it. And I just, but, but what I learned, and actually I just walked out of a, an hour and a half meeting with our staff talking about fit and what we need to do, you know, because you can't do everything. You can do anything you want, but you can't do everything <laughs> you want. Right. And, but to where you add, you must subtract. And, and then, but we had a lot of success with that. But then after eight, nine or 10 years of being in the same place, when you get in your league, it changes. I mean, like, you know, people, we had tons of success and could really, really about get what we wanted out of the league. But we got in the league, it got a lot harder because you're playing against those teams every year and it almost becomes a think tank. So my next uh, person I really delved into was John Beeline. And uh, Coach Beeline came through Huntsville because he was recruiting a young man from Huntsville that was on my son's high school team. And and I got to spend a couple of days with him. And then I got to he was kind enough to bring me up for three days. And I got to got to go behind the scenes and that whole deal. And this is when they played the national championship game. And that's when we started marrying the two guard offense, Coach Beeline's two guard to the Princeton. And and we just kind of started figuring, hey, this can work with this and this can work with that. And so that's kind of the guys that I've kind of gleaned from the most offensively. And then just trying to always study. I mean, I, I we were talking today about watching. There was a divi- We got, watched a Division three NCAA tournament game yesterday in the office for 30 minutes on Synergy, you know, because I, I liked what they did. So you, you better keep going because if you don't, it, it's going to be hard to have success. So, so, you know, and I had you, you know, you were gracious enough to come and uh, join our faculty at Coaching You, and you spoke at our clinic in Orlando. And and then when the things you were showing, I can remember back, it was like an epiphany to me because I said, this is different. This is new stuff. 
and you had now you know worked at pushing the ball and now you were a fast-paced team and how did, how did, again that's that growth mindset how do you, why did you keep evolving like that yeah i i do think in in anything like you look at what there, there's some fast I, i'm i'm an alabama guy so obviously i have seen the entire nick saban process mm-hmm. from from its infancy when he got off the plane to where they are now and they were showed a stat from his first 10 years to his last six years, the amount of points they've scored and how they have just become this unbelievably dominant offensive team. And I think he's the greatest example of if you're not evolving, you're dead in the water. Good call. And, and, and I just thought I, I've, what, the way we talk about it is we really try to stay one hip, one step ahead of the posse. Um, we do not. We need to constantly be looking for things to, that will that will uh, advance what we're doing, but not compromise what we believe in. But because if you think you're going to outcoach a bunch of guys, you, you've lost your mind. You, you, there's just too many good coaches, and if and 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 you better not be proud. Um, that's what I just told our guys in a meeting. I said, look, we need to figure out what we got to do to get our best players on the floor. Well, I, I, I don't know what that is. Now, we do need that. There needs to be a level of accountability and standard of execution they have to meet. But I said, if, if we're doing things to keep our best players from playing, we're doing the wrong thing. And so I felt like if we could advance the ball quickly, and, and our whole thing is try to find the – get an advantage. When we're running, we told them yesterday in practices, we are sprinting, we are chasing space, and then when we get the advantage – we want to make sure we don't ever give it up. I, I don't want to get into a reset mentality. Our whole thing is get the ball up court, get the advantage, and find the next concept. What is the concept we can get to the quickest without setting an offense? And what we base everything we do on is where's the ball, where's the five-man? And that mm. tells us what we're doing. And, and then what we try to do is come up with language for those concepts, get the ball moving, don't let it stick, and uh, and don't do second things first. You know, don't get ahead of ourselves. The first thing we're trying to do is score. It's not to run offense. We, we're trying to score. And so just trying to keep that mindset of, you know, always growing, always looking for ways to get better. And part of that for us is being able to at least – and just because you're running, you don't have to shoot it. That is a tremendous misnomer. Great. Um, but I do think you can get to a numeric – you know, there's – You've got a numerical advantage. Do we have a space advantage? Do we have a positional advantage? Any of those we want to attack, and and then just figure it out from there. You know when uh, when you know had the, it was like a double edged sword. You know I love you so much, so I was really looking forward uh, to coaching against you because I wasn't a head coach. It wasn't going on my record, and so you know and so. But one of the things that I really uh, enjoyed in and and preparing but then the execution wasn't as much fun when we played against you was you know how you used your center and how you know very few teams I think at the college level even the pro they they don't use the center well and then when they do pass the ball to them God knows what the hell they're going to do but you really have developed some great concepts of what to do when you do hit the post whether it be low post or at the ball side elbow or right in the middle of the floor. What are, what are some ideas that you have to help other coaches? 
Yeah, you know, we some of what we do in here is is out of necessity. Is our best player by far is a is a young man named Asana Sajula, who is one of the best mid major post players in the country. Absolutely. And you know, from coaching against him, the thing that makes him such an outlier is how he can pass. And so we play through him. The last two years, my the only two years I've been at Lipscomb, he's had the highest usage rate of any post player in the country. But we what we try to do is because I do think he has a chance to play for money. I don't. We don't. We don't want to just stick him on the block and just just get in there and get into a street fight every time down. We try to move him. We talk about opportunistic posting, where we get him off the block, we bring him back in, but we want the ball to be able to see the good stuff. And so when, when we have different things we do if we hit him, at, we call it the porch, which is the short corner. Different things we do if it goes to the elbow. Um, and and he, he because he can see, you know, the two things, the hardest, two hardest things to teach are feel and vision. And he has both. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of big kids that do that. But we can play through him. But I do think if you have a five that you can move around, I think it changes everything because it's really tough to pressure those teams because now you can get behind them. But then if we have a positional advantage with him, we'll play more through the low post. And we really try to be definitive in what we do when the ball goes into the low post. Like we, we want to have a plan, and we need to have a plan when they're doubling as well. Um, our team last year wasn't as good, as good because we, couldn't, we didn't have enough shooting around him to protect him. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you do have a good low post player, you know, obviously shooting becomes a premium to be able to enable him to be the best he can be. Yeah, I and I also, you know, one of the things that fascinated me was, you know, uh, I, I, our man-to-man defense didn't work real well, so we tried zone, and and then the thing that I loved about uh, your zone attack is that most zone teams that you play against at the collegiate level, they stand still, you know, and you know, some type of one-three-one versus a you know a two-three zone of some sort, not a lot of movement. But your team, just like they do man-to-man, they moved. And, boy, I think that is one of the real keys to zone offense. Any thoughts on that without giving away? Well, yeah, Well, my first thought is, you know, is with you and Donnie over there, not a whole lot. I think we scored like 50 both games. We played y'all twice. But they were dynamic. It was a dynamic 50. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, what a coach Donnie Jones is. And if there's a better person in coaching, I haven't met him yet. And, um, and, but you know, y'all zone obviously really bothers. I I will say this, when you coach against good coaches, it makes you better. And, and the first time we played you guys, I I was like, you know, they, we just did not have a good plan. And actually we won that game because we got, you know, sometimes people don't understand how you play and how you shoot aren't one in the same. We just made a couple of shots that game that enabled us to win a tough game on the road. Well, you came to our place and beat us. I thought our zone attack was better. We just didn't make as many <laughs> shots. And I think you've got to be able to separate those two. Yeah. Um, because the last time I checked, no one's trying to miss a shot. <laughs> I, I feel like your job on the night of the game is to get more good shots for your better players than who you're playing. That That's what it is. And but I, I, you know, you, you learn, uh, I, I told our guys yesterday in practice, I said, the smart people learn from their mistakes. The smartest people learn from other people's mistakes. And, and I had a high school coach that came and watched my team scrimmage one year and we were playing this team and we were playing, we were playing man to man and we had got some good stuff. Well, they went zone and we kind of bogged down. He said, why, why do you quit doing what you're doing? Why do you eliminate your movement when they go zone? 
He said, you're getting away from the stuff you do best. And I thought, I really don't know. <laughs> and he had a great point. I, I didn't have an answer for it. And so really from that point on, we've never changed. I said, then we are going to continue to be structurally similar. You know, you have to attack some different soft spots sure. against the zone, but we, we do not want to stop moving the ball or our players. Um, I do think, like, I mean, Donnie is so good in his zone and, you know, they have good size. And if you're just going to be in the same spot every time and do the same two or three things, two or three things every time down in a predictable manner, you're not going to get a good shot. It's just, he's too good at it. And, and because the thing with Donnie, with his zone or, or anybody that's really good at what they do on either side of the ball, they know how to fix it. That, boy, that's, that's when you really become a great, I think a really great master teacher of your subject matter is when you can fix it. And, and, and I've had to learn, and I, I'm not saying I'm good at anything. I've just had to learn though. There's a lot of different ways they're going to do a lot of different things they're going to try to do to stop us or cause problems for us. And, and, and you better have a plan when, when the ship starts going in a different direction. And so being able to fix what you do, I think gives you a lot of confidence. Coaches, those are some nuggets in the last three minutes that are, that are worth the price of going to coaching you live. Tell me, I mean, that that's phenomenal stuff, Lenny. We're going to take a quick time out and we're going to come right back with the head coach of Lipscomb, Bisons, Lenny Akoff. We're thrilled to have our longtime partners and friends at Dr. Dish Basketball on board as sponsors of the Coaching You podcast. Dr. Dish machines are undoubtedly the most user-friendly and advanced machines in the world of basketball today. Dr. Dish has completely revolutionized and reimagined the shooting machine to provide the best solution on the market. Join top programs around the world like Duke, North Carolina, Florida, and countless others, and upgrade your shooting machine to Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish machines are the best way to increase purposeful reps in your program to get players better, faster, while tracking progress along the way. Dr. Dish provides so much more than just your standard shooting machines with custom training, pro trainers, and coaches on demand, real-time and detailed analytics, and top-of-the-line drills and workouts. If you're looking to take your program to the next level, look no further than Dr. Dish for the best basketball training machine in the world. If you have an old machine that's just collecting dust in your gym, did you know that you can trade that in to Dr. Dish for up to $1,500 off and get a new dish? Make sure to give our friends at Dr. Dish a follow at Dr. Dish B-Ball on Twitter and Instagram for great daily drills, workouts, tips, and inspiration. Or contact us at drdishbasketball.com. Don't forget to mention Coaching You or our podcast for $300 off your purchase. Hi, this is Brendan Sir. I'm talking to coaches, PE teachers, ADs, and camp directors because I'm so excited to announce our newest Coaching You podcast partnership with my friends from 360 Hoops. What if I told you that I've witnessed the most innovative game, training, and exercise for kids that I've seen in decades? 360 Hoops takes up less space than traditional basketball and allows for more players to get involved in developing their basketball fundamentals. The three-sided basket is attached to wheels for easy transportation and can adjust from 7 to 10 feet. The uses are endless, from elementary and 
middle school recess to physical education class that can also be used for team practice and skill development training for teams with players of all ages. For more information, visit www.play360hoops.com. To learn more about this new innovative product, make sure you mention Coaching You for a 10% discount. Back with Lenny Akoff. Last year, Coach, we talked often during this uh, pandemic about, uh, you know, this. it was such uncharted waters. What were your feelings about coaching, uh, you know, during this? It was almost like coaching with a blindfold on at different parts of the year, especially early on during practice time. Yeah, it, it, it was it was it was the most challenging thing from a coaching of, of, of dealing with my team. This last year was my 31st year as a head coach. Wow. This year's 32. And I know obviously none of us have encountered it like to a level that we saw last year, but just the lack of time with my team. You and I talked about one of our good friends yeah. before um, before we got on the air and the challenges they went through last year, because if you're a coach, you, you need time with your team. You need to practice. And, and, and that's what I felt like all year long. I said, we just can't get enough practice time. And every time I thought we were about to make a real jump and we would start playing better, we'd get shut down. And, and I, I say that with no victims mentality because everybody had to deal with it. But if you had a veteran team, it obviously helped. But I do think it really, really crippled teams. I, there was guys that lost their jobs last year that I completely disagreed with. I don't ever want to see anybody lose their sure. job. But to, but, to, to, but to terminate someone after last year, I mean, it, it was such an outlier year. And um, this is year three for us here. But I, we talk, I mean, I really feel like we're still in like year one and a half. Last year was almost just a, it's almost a throwaway year. And I yeah. just pray we can get through this to get some normalcy. And, you know, the, the thing that we I, – I felt like we didn't have equity with our team off the court. And, and and that's tough. You know, and you and I talked a little bit about that at the pro level now. Some that's what's going on. But, you know, you go on the road and you can't have a meal together. You have to go up, go get, go to the lobby, get to the meal and go back up to your room. Everybody has their own room. Things like that that just – it really eliminates relational bonding that, that – that's what you that's what you draw upon when things aren't going well. And we just I didn't think we had that and it it was is really a challenging year. What about uh I remember last year we were all scrambling and redid our schedules, you know, twice at least. Um and you know, you know, we the guarantee games that, you know, programs like ours, you know, require Uh, You know, they kind of flew out the window last year almost, and I know they're coming back a little bit. Um, But that's like the lifeline for, you know, the non-Power Fives. And, um, you know, how has that been the schedule again uh, for you guys this year? It's it's not near what it was. Right. Um, You know, the money's not close. Um, We usually can get the money we need in three games. We're playing five this year. Wow. And so, so you're walking into your year with a pretty high probability you're going to be zero and five. Now mm-hmm. we're going to go and fight like crazy and just try to get better. Um, but in we, you know we're, we're not going to concede anything. But those, you're you're being less than honest if you're getting paid a lot of money that they don't feel like that's a game they can win. Um, but you know, like even last year we were going to Tulane to open up the season in a tournament. We left Tulane to go to Cincinnati, Cincinnati to Arkansas. 
So we had uh, all those were money games. Well, the morning we're flying out to New Orleans, our starting point guard comes down with COVID. Well, that knocked out two other kids. So we had five games in seven days without three of our perimeter players. And But I'm sitting there that morning, and I say, okay, we don't have to go. We, you know, we could cancel. And we were going to lose $200,000. Wow. And, and, and I'm like, we're going. We're going. I mean, we had to go. And um, those things like that, hopefully we won't have to make those kind of decisions going forward. But, but scheduling has always been tough at the low to mid-level of Division One. I. I think it's now more challenging than ever. Um, and, and as the Power Five leagues grow, and become they play more conference games, well, that's less opportunities for schools like us to get those money games that you really need. And um, so I, we, we've cleared a little bit of that hurdle. Hopefully the money will come back to what it was, but it's sure not there yet. Yeah, I think we're going to start to see conferences, even the A-Sun, I think eventually will go to 20 games because it's so hard to schedule non-conference games also. Really tough. And the hardest thing at this level is to get non-conference home games. Yes. I mean, like you, 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 I mean, you know from doing the schedule is that you, you could fill your schedule in 20 minutes if you're willing to go play 10 series, start 10 series on the road. Sure. Well, that, that, I mean, you, you, that doesn't work. That does, I mean, like here, basketball is a, it is a big part of our campus life. We need home games. Sure. And they want things for the students to do. And, you know, and, and, and everybody wants to play at home. And so to, just to get a non conference series started is really difficult. Everybody wants to start at their place. And, you know, you just can't do that. And so you really have to, it, it takes a lot of patience, a lot of phone calls. And I, I told one of my coaches after I'd been here about a month, I said, I think there's less transparency in, in scheduling than there is in recruiting. I mean, they'll tell you one thing and then do another. And, you know, it's hard to get a schedule. <laughs> That's the truth. What uh, what do you do now? I think the college game is almost going to a 12-month. Uh, it always has been a 12-month job. Uh, versus NBA, but uh, you know, I think the training for the players has almost become somewhat ten to twelve months. Uh, what do you do uh, with your kids? Let's say when they came came back to school uh, in August here. Yeah, I, I think that is something that I'm I'm trying to learn to navigate. You know, in Division Two, you didn't have your kids in the summer, right? And so when they got there, you really hit the ground running to try to be ready to play early November. Well, here we had them most of the summer, and but but I I am a huge huge proponent advocate of basketball as a tournament sport, particularly at this level. And our whole focus is January, February, March. That's our whole focus. And I just you cannot burn your team out early in the year. Like we're gonna work, we're gonna work with purpose. But I do not I, – I, I had a really, really good coaching friend of mine many years ago tell me, he said, I want my team to be excited about playing in March. And I think there's a lot of people now because we all want to work. Everybody enjoys working. But these kids have a shelf life. And there's a lot of teams that you, you'll play them. And I've had teams this way. And it's not good. You'll see them February 1st, and you're like, they're toast. Mm-hmm. That, that, that They're done. That they, they want it to be over with. Their chemistry's bad. They don't like each other, and you can tell they are burnt out. We want to be going the other way. Um, you know, we want to be playing our best at the end, and I think part of that is making sure that we're not trying to do too much too soon. 
And and I think we try to make sure we're pacing ourselves. But that's just my philosophy. It doesn't make it right. But but I know this. You can write a lot of wrongs the last three or four weeks of a college basketball season. But that's that's really you know one of the things I learned. Uh, you know, I, I've been blessed to work with a lot of great coaches in the NBA. And one of the things I learned, I had Ubi Brown and Mike Fratello. But then when I went with Chuck Daly. It was like all of a sudden, like a light bulb went on, and because everything that Yubi and Mike did were so structured and you know so well thought out that it was the gospel for me. But then all of a sudden, Chuck was just the opposite almost, and it was refreshing. And if I came in there locked in and said, "No, no, no, that's not what I believe in," I wouldn't have grown. And what happened was, uh, Chuck said, "We're going to play till the middle of June. We're going to be in the NBA Finals." So just like you had mentioned, Lenny, he said, uh, we're only going to practice an hour a day. And I'm like, what? We always practice mm-hmm. two hours a day, you know, in Atlanta. And he said, an hour a day. And everything was, it was, and it was mostly scrimmage. You know, we would, uh, what he he called, uh, you know, and I know I've talked to you about this controlled scrimmage where we would, you know, uh, the, the one team would have the ball and uh, they would run a play and then, you know, make or miss, we're converting. And then uh, the first team to score two baskets, that was the end of it, and we started again. And we did mm-hmm. that for 40 minutes. And we worked on offense, defense, rebounding, uh, not taking care of the ball, uh, transition defense, fast break offense, and he's in competitiveness because two baskets won the game. And mm-hmm. so it was like an eye-opener for me, and we did that every day. And our, and that's how we our second unit was so good because they were always ready to play. They got enough reps in practice because they were getting equal. And, mm-hmm. I, and I said to myself, this is like too simple because before I was always taught, well, we're going to do a fast break section of practice. Now we're going to do a man-to-man for 20 minutes. Now we're going to work on man-to-man offense for 20 minutes. Everything was segments, you know, and now that was everything was together. And I thought it was a great way to keep our team healthy. And ironically, when we won our first championship in Detroit, and people don't believe, I mean, my starting five, of course, you know, is Isaiah Dumars, Lambeer, Mahorn, and Mark Aguirre. And then all of a sudden, our second string is Vinnie Johnson, John Long, uh, Dennis Rodman, John Sally, and James Edwards. That second team beat the first team every scrimmage for six weeks. Hmm. (laughs) <laughs> well, I think the two things I was thinking as you were saying that, I, I, that's, I mean, golly, you have so many great reference points, and that's why people need to listen to you, is there are a million different ways to skin a cat. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I mean, and what Coach Fratello or Coach Brown did, that that does not make that wrong. No. But, but, but what Coach Daly did, that's what he believed in. And you've got to be you. Mm-hmm. You have to be you, you. You know, you can't be somebody else, and you have to be what you be who you are, and you have to do what you believe in. And then I think another part of it, and and this has been another adjustment for me. You know, going from Division Two to Division One is having a bigger staff. Yeah, and you have to be careful. You'll burn the guys on your staff out. I I I, I just think you want those guys fresh. You want those guys energized. You want those guys to say, oh, my gosh, this is our 60-second straight day of work. I don't want to do that. 
And, you know, with this year, the way you have to recruit in the summer and your kids being here in the summer, I, I and not that I have all the answers, but I am very intentional about like, look, guys, today, don't come to the office. Do not come to the office. And my, my children are grown. All the guy, the, the, the guys that work for me all have younger children. And I, and I just said, go be home, be at home. And, and I think keeping your staff fresh is as much as important as keeping your team fresh. That's great. Love that. No, and I think that's that's the thing. You know, in, in the NBA, we would practice in the morning at 11 o'clock, and we would, Chuck and I would be there 9.30, 10 o'clock, I'll be honest. And Chuck would, and Chuck would prepare to practice. You know why? Because he knew what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then he would say, this is what I'm doing, okay? And there was only two of us on the staff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and And one of the guys might be out doing our advanced scouting. So it was just he and I. And mm-hmm. we would we would do practice. He and I would have uh, lunch there afterwards. And you know what? He'd say, "I see you." And he was out of the office by two o'clock. Mm-hmm. And you know, at night we would watch our games, our next opponent on TV. You can do so much work at home now with computers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And office time doesn't mean you're working and and you know there's a lot more things that can be done i think that's so so important the way you're approaching that and it, some people like to have their people in the office some people like to stay in an office i think the biggest thing is like you said be mentally fresh physically fresh i think it's so so darn important lenny if you were going to um change things anything in the college game rule wise uh recruiting things and you were you were the head of basketball in the nc2a what are some thoughts that come to mind oh wow that is a great question brennan i that that is a i i would probably start with me things that that bother me in the game mm-hmm. um I, I i think um we we've got we have cleaned the game up some from a physicality standpoint I just think at times the inconsistency of the way the game is called from night to night, mm-hmm. I think can get really frustrating for a coach. <clears throat> and, you know, and I tell our players part of that is on us, you know, and I'm, I'm no way being critical of officiating. I mean, I think sure. it's probably better than it's ever been, but you, you have to learn. We have to get a feel early on. How, how's this guy going to call? And you should know in your league, okay, like these two guys, if they're here, it's going to be a street fight. So you might as well be ready for that. I, I, I think that is probably the hardest thing at times to have a feel for going into the game. Because uh, you, you, a lot of times you don't even know who's got the game till they walk out there. Exactly night. right, yeah. And so, okay, you know, what's our mindset need to be? I think probably the consistency of what is a foul and what's not a foul. Now, if I coach the NBA, I'd lose my mind because I have no idea what a foul is in the NBA. <laughs> I mean, I have never seen so many grabs and holds, and it's 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 a different way to do it. I do think we've, we've made strides on the floor with that, cleaning it up and making things better. I, I, I think, you know, for me – I, I think we. I wish from a from a basketball standpoint yeah. that like I, I work for an amazing athletic director here. He he was a great player. He is a very wise man, but most importantly, he's a really good man. And and I, it just really bothers me in our sport where if you don't win right away, you're gone. And that that to me is a formula for shortcuts. I I, I think the longest distance between two points is to try to take a shortcut. Right. 
but but at times the way college basketball is now oh, and again we just had this conversation in recruiting you know we want to be a developmental program but can you stay on that road right now because when there is so much uh transfers and so many so much movement every year with kids you know what, what really what what's the best route to go and, and i think I, I i just if you don't feel like your job is on the line every year i think you're much more likely to be willing to stay the course to try to bring in kids you can develop and but when you but if, if you know every year and you know particularly at the highest levels of college basketball obviously professionally there's a lot of money on the line mm-hmm. and if you're sitting there and you go okay if i if we maybe take a little shortcut here that may get me another contract i mean i that, those are tough those are moral dilemmas that you put coaches in and anybody says well i know what i would do well more power to you because that's a tough call and and, and I, I just think if if there was more of a prevalence on building programs versus building teams, I think I think that would be a re- like I, I love the way there's people that I respect they just go about their program as opposed to building a team year to year. Yeah, one of the ways I think uh, one thing I would take from the NBA from a that standpoint uh, that you're talking about, Lenny, is uh, in the NBA there's no buyouts in a contract for a coach. Can't buy a co- I I I'm I'm the coach of the Hawks. I want to go to the Lakers. I can't leave. I'm under contract. Right. No, okay. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're making two million less than they want to pay you. You can't leave. So uh, and also, if you get fired, they're paying you the entire length of your contract. There's right. No, and I, you know, there's no shoe deals. There's nothing. It's straight cash for coaching. You know. And I think if we had that at the college level, I think we wouldn't have people. You know. You know, guys that are making some decent money all of a sudden, but their buyout is very small. It makes it very appealing to almost buy the guy out and get a prettier face in there, so to speak. And I think if we eliminated the buyout, I think it would be advantageous to coaches. Maybe. Yeah, it's funny you say that. We had an NBA guy at practice yesterday, and uh, he was. I said, "What are you doing? What's going on?" He said, "Well, it's third year he's out of the league, and they're still paying him." I said, they're still paying me. And I'm like, there's not a lot of college guys get that. No, no. And, and, and I said, what a luxury. And he's like, I'm just going around and watching practice. I may go overseas. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't have to work right now. And, you know, and that, that's the thing that bothers me at times when, when I see guys particularly get fired that I feel like if they'd have had more time, they could have done it. Most of these guys, they don't have big buyouts. I oh, mean, they don't. they've got to go find another job. Right. And, and, and yeah, that's tough now. I mean, I, it just kills me to see that. And when you sit there and you watch them and we're all only as good as our situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't have resources and you don't have, I, I, I heard this, Mike neighbors, the coach at Arkansas said this, I don't know Mike neighbors and he sure don't know great, me. Great friend. He's a great well, friend. I heard him. You would love say him. This. I, 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 I listen to everything he puts out. Yeah. He's and terrific. he said this the other day and it made so much sense. I heard him on a podcast and he said, He'll hear commentators or whoever talking about a basketball game, and he says, "He said, whoa, what a chess match they have going! What a what a you know great strategic uh, chess match we're seeing." And he said, "There's nothing further from the truth." He said, "In chess, everybody has the same pieces. In basketball, we're all not dealt the same hand. <laughs> you're not, so you're really playing poker." 
because you have to figure out how you're going to play your hand and what is the best way for you to play your hand because you may not have the same players, the same resources the guy at the other end of the floor has. So to think that we're playing chess is a misnomer, and I thought that was a great point. And, and, and you and I both know there is a reason people consistently win, and there is a reason people consistently struggle. Mm-hmm. And it's usually your situation. And there's very, very few coaches that are good enough to outrun their situation. But that's good. That's really good. I think that's that's so well put, and I, I agree with Mike on that. Poker is a is a much better analogy than chess. I agree with that a hundred percent. That's for true. sure. Hey, if you, uh, I'm I'm a big believer that the college game, rule wise, could do a few things. Uh, I would love us to have a twenty four second clock to make the game faster and quicker, uh, because all the kids want to play at the next level whether it be overseas or in the NBA, and that's what they play right. at. Uh, the kids, 14-year-old kids in other countries all play with a 24-second clock. Um, and then the other thing is I would love us to see six fouls in college because I see your big kid who is the best at, you know, mid-major in the country, I think. You know, he, he gets screwed two, three times a game with pad calls. Right. <laughs> and, and he's just, I'd agree with that. Oh, sure. yeah, because, <laughs> you know, he goes, he gets two fouls in the first half. you got to take him out. Right. Uh, you know, they don't have to foul him out. They just got to get him to sit next to you and be an assistant coach for a while. And, right. And, 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 and the purpose of, you know, if a guy, you know, I'm a big football, college football fan, and, you know, if an offensive lineman gets three holding calls, it doesn't matter. He just gets penalized yardage and stuff like that. You shoot free throws, but six fouls, three in each half. I think not, 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 not. not you can have five in one half. I don't care. Not, not, and just six total for the game. I think is much better. Uh, but it doesn't takes a little pressure off the referees and the coach. Uh, and then the other thing I'd love to see is like the women's game. Um, advance the ball in the last minute. You know, we, in the NBA, we do the last two minutes, but in the last minute of play, advance that. So coaches, great coaches, don't look like donkeys when they got two seconds to go to the length of the court. There's no one that can throw up a, a play that can go the length of the court in two seconds and get a good shot. I, I just think it's better for the kids, not for us, I, I, for the I, kids. I, I, would, I would be all in on both of those. Yeah. All in. I. You know, because it, it really is, you know, and there's that whole thing, you know, do you take them out with two fouls? I, I said, look, that just depends on the night. I mean, if, if we got to have him in there, we're going to play. Now, we're going to try to get him in and out, but I, I, we're not hard and fast. If they get two, they set the whole half. Now, if I got a great team and it's a guy that's, uh, you know, somebody that's replaceable, but I need my best players in there. And I think you have, you know, everybody manages that differently. And I, I do. I, I've seen it with the women in college, you know, just it, it's fun. The end of the game, it just becomes a lot more interesting. And like you say, you got that guy in the 10th row that knows nothing about basketball, but he thinks he does. And you got 1.5 seconds and you're down three. Well, and you just throw it and everybody would just do the same thing. You're like, well, he could have got a better shot. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Right. I mean, it, it's like being, you know, you got to score a touchdown and you got to go 90 yards sure. on the last play of the game. Well, you're not doing that. There's nobody a good enough coach to draw up a play to get somebody open to do that. I think those would be good rules. And, and, and anything we can do to keep our best players in the game. That's the whole point. It's a kid's game. It's not a coach's game, in, in my feeling, on that. You know, and, and we want this to be a good experience for them. Well, I know one thing. The, the kids at uh, Lipscomb are having a great experience having you as their coach. And um, 
I can't wait to see you in person again, my friend. Oh, I, I appreciate you. Unfortunately, if you do see me, it's probably it's not going to be on a great night for us. We go to LSU, so if you're oh, still living in Baton Rouge, we're right oh, down the street. I, I, yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be up there, and I'm I'm going to be I'm coming hey, to your I'm coming to your shoot around at least. I, you, I know you're that. always welcome. <laughs> so yeah, it's December twenty second. Those guys have a great way of like sending you out to Christmas with a parting gift. Yeah, no, I mean, like, uh, we're going to go. My, my first year here was at Vermont. <laughs> which everybody thinks, oh, it's beautiful. Like it was four degrees and they were a top 20 team in the country. Yeah. And that's what we sent our guys home with on December 22nd. Well, we're at LSU on the 22nd. But, but Brendan, thank you so much for what you do for the game and, and, and most importantly, what, what, what you do for coaches. And I, 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 and this is the last thing I do want to say as we wrap up is that, you know, I just think every one of us as coaches need to do a better job of taking care of each other. And always think, like we teach our children when they're young, what if that was me? What if that was me on that other sideline? And and understand it, for, but for the grace of God, go I. Because when I hear other coaches criticizing other coaches, and, you know, I, I think you have no idea what that guy's going through. You have no idea who his administration is. Um, that will be my parting shot when I get out of it, is I want to try to do something like you're doing to help coaches continue to grow and understand like what you you those other guys on that sideline even though it's competitive they can still be you can have a relationship with them and it can be positive keep sharing my friend you're the best and uh i, I love our friendship and i love you my friend and uh love you too thank uh, you for you brand have a great day okay thanks lynn appreciate it okay all right thank you lenny Yakoff. i'll tell you what this gentleman if you ever get a chance to go up to lipscomb's practice in in nashville ever get to see him live in a clinic one of the best teachers and coaches in the game uh and as great a coach as he is and he's one of my people that i i really search for uh you know to to learn from uh he's a better person and he's a great coach he's a better guy and that's what i love about lenny so again for those of you that have uh, inquired again go on to our website at coachingyoulive.com to see uh forward slash 2021 videos to get all the info that you want there. The great coaches, the player development bundle is out of this world. And again, uh, a big thank you to Lenny Akoff again for coming on and uh, making us better coaches. Uh, I love the way he shares. Until next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sirf.